You come, Holy Spirit. As always, Lord, we give you permission to do what you desire. Make our minds, hearts, and souls a fertile soil that your word, your gospel may bear great fruit in our life. Illuminate the scriptures for us. Convict and console our hearts. Speak, for your servants are listening. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So we're continuing now. I think this is week four or so as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and as we kind of mentioned, again, the context here, we have to have this in this context. That in the Sermon on the Mount, we have Christ as the new Moses. Moses, the one giving the law, right? Going up to the mountain, receiving the law, communicating the law to, to God's people, and then therefore establishing this covenant with them. So Jesus here at the Sermon on the Mount is, is acting as the new Moses, who, as he said last week, is not coming to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to bring it to its fullness. The Catechism says this, it says that the new law releases the hidden potential and gives new demand. So it's not abolishing any of the old precepts, but it's releasing the fullness of the potential of the old covenant and giving new demands which move more to the interior aspect of the heart, a deeper conversion of the heart. And so as we've been going through this, I know in some sense it can seem kind of simple and kind of just pass in our ear and, and out the other. But what Jesus is doing at the beginning of Matthew's gospel is he is saying, like, I have come to invite you into the life that you were created for, which is a share in his own divine life, that you might not live only by the exterior precepts of the law, but that your heart may be changed and converted and transformed and renewed so that when he says, love one another as I love you, that it is the very heart of Jesus active and alive in our own hearts. And if we don't believe this, if we don't believe that truth, that that's what Jesus is saying, that that's what Jesus is communicating here in the Sermon on the Mount and in all of his teaching, then we're going to miss. We're going to miss the life that God wants and we're going to misunderstand him. So for us to understand, again, I mentioned maybe a few weeks back that uh, that quote from Frank Sheed, that Catholics, right, we typically have, if we're honest with ourselves, worldly minds with Catholic patches. What, what does he mean by that? That we're formed by our culture. All, we, we swim in the culture that we're in and it forms us, what we're listening to, what we're watching, the cultural aspects, for better and for worse. We're formed by it. And so we have this kind of mindset sometimes that we think like, okay, well, this is the truth of things, and we have kind of these Catholic patches that are there. And the Lord is inviting us here, as he was inviting 2,000 years ago, those who he was speaking to, like, I want to reveal to you a way that which you are called and created to live, 
which is probably blowing your mind a little bit, but which is God has always intended for you. You know, I mentioned before that it's, this is what Jesus has come to do. Part of what he has come to do is to fulfill Ezekiel 36. I'm going to sprinkle clean water upon you, right? This illusion, this prefiguring of baptism. And then I will take your stony heart. I'm going to take your broken heart. I'm going to take your, your clouded mind. And I'm going to give you my own living heart. My natural heart, he says. The one we were made for. And so all the things that we've been talking about that Jesus is saying, you have heard this, but I say this. is like because he is literally offering us his divine life, his own life in our souls to live this reality. So we use this language within the church and it's appropriate to do so to say the imitation of Jesus, like to imitate him. That's great. But when we use that language sometimes, we can have this notion of like, okay, Jesus did these things and then now I need to do the same things that Jesus did but with my own capacity. Yep, it's not possible. So we have to understand this powerful reality where the Lord is literally saying, I am going to give you a capacity to love and to live in this world that is beyond a human capacity. And if we do not believe this truth, we will miss the fundamental call of the Christian life. We'll miss it. And what we'll start to say is, oh man, that's pie in the sky. Like, I can't do that. It's like, no, is it hard? Uh-huh. Is it a journey? Most certainly. It's a lifelong reality. But we have to believe in its possibility because otherwise we're saying Jesus is a liar. Because he's calling us to this. Calling us. And then so we've been talking about that, this new law that he was going to pour forth into our, our minds. So I just want to walk through again, like I did last week, a few of these things to kind of like, what is he talking about here? So you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, when many of us hear this, what do we think? We think it's actually encouraging, like, uh, vengeance. Like someone does something to me, and so I'm going to just get them right back. Actually, what the law was doing was restricting retaliation. Like if someone pokes your eye out, you don't get to kill their whole family, okay? Like that's not how this works. Someone knocks your tooth out, you don't get to like rip their arms off, okay? It's not how this works. And so it was, it was again, noticing that there's this gradual acceptance of the law. And this is before, right, the life of the Holy Spirit in our souls. So again, like Jesus talked about last week when he was talking about uh, or he'll talk about it, marriage and divorce last week, and he'll say again in Matthew 19, like, it's because of the hardness of our heart, but in the beginning it was not so. So then he says, right, then I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. And then we're like, what? What is he saying? Is Jesus saying being a doormat? Is Jesus saying allow ourselves to be abused by someone who is abusing us? And the answer is no. And we have to understand this in this full context of divine revelation. What is he saying? Well, let's look at the specific examples. He says, offer no resistance to one who is evil. So then he talks about this. Someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other as well. What's happening here? In Job 16 and Lamentations 3, the Old Testament speaks about twice how when you strike someone on the right cheek, 
that is the most humiliating thing you can do to them. It's like the public humiliation that you could do was to strike them on their right cheek. Is what's happening. He's saying here, right? So turn your other. We're going to get to what Jesus is saying. Then he says, if someone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. Here again, the English translation kind of misses it. Uh, the Greek says, if someone wants to basically sue you for your undergarments, then give them your outer garments as well, right? And Jesus is kind of like, this is a little bit of hyperbole again. Like, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That's not what he's telling us to do. He's speaking hyperbolically to make a point. But he's like, look, if someone wants all your stuff, then just like, okay, look, you want all of that? Then like, here's all of this. They're going to take your undergarments and take the rest as well too. Like, why, why, why are you not asking me for all of it? And then should anyone press you into service for a mile, go for two. Give to the one who asks. Do not turn your back on the one who wants to borrow. We could go into more details of these, but essentially what Jesus is saying is that when someone is coming at you in these ways, respond, right, to their evil, to their injury with generosity. Like, respond to someone's injury to, to, towards you, to someone's evil towards you with generosity. Acting as if Christ himself. Jesus himself. And it can be in a certain sense, if you've ever had that happen to you where you were kind of like being mean to someone and then they were super nice to you and you were like, okay, this is awkward. I feel like a jerk. Like, this is not great. Now, sometimes our hearts are so hardened that we don't, you know, we're like even more jerks again, all right? It just shows more conversion that we need. But this is essentially what Jesus is saying, like respond with generosity. Again, in the context of this, if you want to read... The church teaches and understands truly that there's like legitimate self-defense. Defending ourselves, defending others. And that's the catechism begins in 2263 and 2302. So if you want to read about that, 2263 and 2302. So Jesus is not teaching against legitimate self-defense. But he's saying in these, in these circumstances when someone is again coming at us with injury, that we respond like Christ with generosity towards them. St. Paul puts it this way, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil. Right? When we are injured, oftentimes what happens, we allow that to turn into vengeance. We allow it to turn into resentment, and then we want to respond back. And the Lord is saying, no, respond with my own heart. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Then he again, he continues here, like you say, you shall love your enemy. I mean, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is an interesting one because nowhere in the Old Testament does it explicitly say hate your enemy. Actually, we read in the first reading where Moses is talking about loving your enemy. Jesus wasn't the first one to say love your neighbor as yourself, right? As this, the old law that the Lord is just again deepening in the aspect that's here. But, again, he's calling us, I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father, that we may actually live and love with the very heart of Jesus, that those who harm us, when we allow it to turn into resentment, it breeds within us this vengeance. And then, actually, not only whatever sin comes out of that, 
we are unhappy. Have you ever, you know, as you're experiencing resentment in your own life, have you ever thought, gosh, this is really fun. I love this. This makes me so happy to resent these people. It doesn't. It doesn't produce any good in our own souls. So as we approach the Lord, we ask for His mercy and seek to forgive and to pray for others. Now, a lot of times people ask the question, well, Father, how can I forgive someone who has harmed me? Like they haven't even apologized to me. Well, Jesus doesn't say forgive only the people who apologize or only the people who deserve it. And actually forgiveness, right, is an interior reality ultimately. That I, despite whatever emotions I'm experiencing, I am choosing the good for the other. I am surrendering them to Christ. I don't need to put myself in harm's way again. I don't, I, I would hope for and seek reconciliation, but that requires two people. Forgiveness is the acknowledgement that hurt was done, that I have been hurt, the gravity of it, but instead of holding on to the resentment of turning it over and offering it to the Lord and returning this person to them. And then here, maybe the most difficult thing that Jesus says that kind of puts us off. So be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we're like, yeah, great. That's easy. Yeah. I just really hadn't tried. I know if I just like try harder, I can be perfect. Like it's all fantastic. This Lent, this is what I'm going to do. What is he saying? He is not saying be flawless. He's not saying that like, we're going to reach some level of total sinlessness, okay? But what he is saying, do we believe in the capacity of God to actually change our hearts and that we can live in the high call? Like, it is a countercultural thing to live the way Jesus asked. And so most of the time, brothers and sisters, we accept mediocrity. We accept parts of the gospel and are not moving towards the fullness of it. And so Jesus is saying, every aspect of your mind, every aspect of my mind, every aspect of your heart, every aspect of my heart, I want conversion. I want to live my life in you. I don't want just some of it. I don't want just some of you. I don't want some of your mind and some of your heart and some of your will. I want all of it. And it is a journey that if we give ourselves over to him, then by the life of grace, it happens, brothers and sisters. And then as we do this, we will do what Jesus said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed. Have you ever had an experience in your life where you're like, gosh, I was struggling with this vice and struggling with this vice, and then all of a sudden now I'm growing in virtue. And you've almost surprised yourself. They're like, whoa. I was in this situation before and I would normally do this. And right now, like all of a sudden I was patient and kind or I was chaste or whatever it is. And then you're like, wow, this is amazing. Because virtue, brothers and sisters, is what we're made for. The life of God is what we're made for. And it actually gives us a joy and a happiness that pure pleasure cannot give. So what Jesus is inviting to us can be difficult, but as we persevere with him in the life of conversion, it actually produces a deeper happiness and a deeper joy that only his life can give. And we are surprised even by what the Lord can do within us. So practically, what do we do?
In case you didn't know, Lent starts in three days, all right? I hope you're excited. I'm excited. As we are going towards Lent, what does God want? He doesn't necessarily want your chocolate and your coffee, okay? What he wants is our hearts. What he wants is our hearts. And that's what he's been preaching about in the gospel for the last four weeks. So what type of fasting, what type of prayer, and what type of almsgiving is going to move my heart to be disposed to God changing and transforming it? And if it has to do with coffee and chocolate, great. If it has nothing to do with coffee and chocolate, who cares about coffee and chocolate, okay? What are the things in my life that I need to fast from? What is the prayer that the Lord is calling me to? Where do I need to give of myself? And here, specifically, Jesus speaking about generosity, not a little bit off the top, right? Generosity that is going to produce within me through cooperation with God's grace, sanctification, and a new life. A new life in him. And as we're going through Lent, I want us all to be asking and praying for an increase of the gifts of the Spirit in our life and the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Why? Because they are the power of God. Like they are supernatural grace and supernatural power that the Lord has given. I preached a homily maybe a couple of months ago about this gifts of the Spirit and I had a number of people tell me like, whoa, I didn't I didn't know, like, that's what the gifts of the Spirit did in our life. Like, no, yes, like, they are literally the power of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts to be more virtuous, to help us perfect ourselves in the life of virtue. But we just never ask for them, never use them. So let us pray, Lord, come in this way. Okay, the Lord Jesus is presenting the new gospel, I mean, the new law, the law of the gospel. Let us say yes in believing that God can do this in our own life and dispose ourselves through faith in him, through continual reception of the sacraments of confession and the Holy Eucharist, through prayer, through giving of ourselves and being generous to others, that the life of God may be formed in our souls and that we might experience with Christ his own beatitude his own happiness here and in the life to come. Come, Lord Jesus, let us believe and trust that this is possible and let us give ourselves over to you. Thank you for listening. The ministry here at Christ the King is made possible through our generous donors and golden givers. If you would like to learn more or partner with Christ the King on LSU's campus, please visit ctklsu.org.